Welcome everybody to Equals, this is Max. Welcome everyone to Equals, a podcast about hope in the fight against inequality. I'm Nabil, welcome. It's season four. Max, can you believe we're on season four? Yeah, season four, amazing. Definitely definitely not a one-hit wonder here. No, our difficult second album is behind <laughs> us. Glory, <laughs> glory awaits. Yes, and many great albums ahead of us. I'm looking at my shelf. I'm looking at, you know, Alicia Keys, Pharrell. Great artists there, you know? Oh, maybe one or two others that I've actually heard of uh, as well. Coldplay, they had quite a good few albums. Nice British middle class band. Yeah, yeah. I'm such a huge Coldplay fan. Thank you. Thank you, <laughs> Bill. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. We're going to be talking about vaccine inequality, about a massive decision that the US has taken. And we're talking about racism as well in the way that shaped the COVID response. We're talking about all of this at a time in which we're seeing, frankly, unimaginable scenes of despair in India across Latin America. Over 20,000 people dying each day from this terrible disease of COVID-19. It's really frightening. And it's frightening to think that when the history books are written, the last year, despite being so traumatic, could just be a prelude to the to the main pandemic. It's just insane. It is indeed. And we are seeing these massive contrasts as well, aren't we, Max? And I do feel I need to say as well, you know, the hope that there is in some parts of the world. I felt so happy seeing my mum, seeing members of my family, seeing you, Max, get the vaccine in the UK. Yeah, I've never been so glad to be so old. But yeah, it is amazing. <laughs> um, I'm volunteering at the vaccine centre and you see the, the hope, the happiness that people have with, with feeling safe. And it's just it's just criminal that we can't see that happening all over the world. Why must it just be in rich countries that people get to feel safe? Criminal, I think, is the way to describe it, Max. You know, here in Kenya, for example, there are hardly any vaccines. And COVID itself has actually been its worst it's been since the start of the pandemic. Yeah, you're just recovering from COVID yourself, in fact. Yeah, that I have, that I have. It's, uh, yeah, it was, it's the illest I've ever been. It, it wasn't easy. It was frankly scary because you are faced with your own mortality. Of course, I'm very lucky. I also exposed the many privileges that I have. But the, the overwhelming feeling coming out of it, Max, is that, you know, this huge vaccine apartheid that we're seeing, it's just not inevitable, is it? There's no real reason that Kenya and all these other countries should be going without vaccines. Absolutely none. I mean, a year ago, the, the main obstacle to beating this cruel disease was science. But today it's inequality. That is the problem. Yes, indeed. And, and, and we're seeing how at the heart of this issue are these big pharmaceutical corporations, we'll call them Big Pharma through the rest of this episode. Big Pharma are really restricting supply and it's rich countries which are standing by them. And that's what's perpetuating this apartheid. But we saw a momentous decision last week by President Biden to take on these monopolies. It's being called an unprecedented decision, something we haven't seen in close to a century. And now, Max, this is really significant, right? Because until now, Big Pharma, they've literally been calling the shots, right? Deciding how many vaccines get made, who gets them, what price to charge. Yes, and, and up until now, for decades, uh, the, the US government and Big Pharma have been in lockstep. So this is an amazing momentous decision and what's happened is what president biden has said is he supports the lifting of monopolies and intellectual property rules at the world trade organization which is something that south africa and india and 100 countries have been calling for and it would enable vaccine manufacturers to come forward and make this these successful vaccines all over the world so it would be a huge move if it happened a huge move and it would help the production 
of billions of vaccines that the world really reads right now. And Maxi will be discussing with our guests what does the Biden decision really mean? What comes next? And we'll also be exploring some of the racism, right, that's that's really shaping the way that the world has responded on this issue of COVID-19 vaccines. Uh, yes, and we're also going to be experimenting with uh, bingo for the first time. <laughs> we'll be doing a round of Big Pharma bingo indeed, testing out some of the arguments that have been that have been put forward. Max, have you got your bell there? Uh, yeah, hold on, wait a second. Very, very high tech. Very high tech. Oh, no, so pretty cool. Eh? And Max, we're joined today by three fantastic guests to walk us through all of this. We'll be kicking off with Preeti Crystal and Tahir Amin. They're the co-CEOs of an organization called IMAC. Uh, they've been for many years fighting structural inequality in the medicine system. Pretty's a lawyer. She's an activist. She's worked across the world. Tahir as well, an attorney. Uh, Tahir is actually a former intellectual property lawyer with multinational corporations. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, he really knows where the bodies are buried. Um, we're also going to be interviewing Asia. Um, uh, Asia Russell from Health Gap, who's a key player in the people's vaccine movement and uh, a longtime HIV activist and one of the people who's been lobbying the US government directly. So you get a really inspiring interview from her as well. Yeah, we'll get the inside track there. Brilliant. Let's get to it. Yes, let's. Welcome, Pretty. Welcome, Tahir. It's so great to have you both on Equals, especially as you've been quite rock stars, actually, of this this global movement to take on Big Pharma and push for a vaccine for all. So a, a warm welcome to Equals. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Sorry, Max, I know you're, you're dying to ask some serious questions, but... Um, I am. I am, Nabil. You are, uh, you, is, is, there, is there a joke coming now? There is always a, there's always a, there's always an intelligent joke coming. But look, Tahir, I, I've got to say, I read your bio coming to this interview. I see you're from a small working class mining town in the north of England, I quote unquote. And I just need <laughs> to give a shout out to all of us who are from small working class towns in the north of England, you know? Uh, I appreciate it. Putting us on the map. Yeah, but exactly. Putting us on the map. That's right. But yeah, can I ask my uh, clever question now? Yeah, yeah, uh, you go for it. Max. Okay, yeah. so Pretty, this one's for you. So we've been working on this for a year or so, really fighting for this uh, issue of intellectual property and patents. But we saw Joe Biden, I think just a week ago, make that announcement that he wants to support uh, the suspension of uh, Big Pharma, intellectual property and monopolies on COVID-19 vaccines. Could you, you know, just kind of break that down for our listeners? You know, how big a deal is that and, and what difference could it make? Sure. So I think it's a big deal. We've been doing this work for a long time and we have never seen an American president say that intellectual property is something that can be touched, can be uh, thought about differently, that the rights of corporations are not sacrosanct even in the middle of a global pandemic. So to have an American president actually acknowledge that, it is a very big deal. At the same time, I think we have to remember all the administration said last week is that they're ready to have a conversation to support this waiver that India, South Africa, and 100 countries have asked for. So nothing's actually happened yet. Intellectual property hasn't been waived. It doesn't mean that we're going to all of a sudden see, you know, a billion people vaccinated. We're just at the beginning of a very long road. Yes, I think they've agreed to talks about talks, haven't they? Uh, but it's still still an amazing thing. I think we were all, you know, when you're campaigners, it's not often you see a clear cut kind of uh, victory and like that, but it also does feel like it's the beginning of a, a journey. So to hear what, what has to happen next then if we want to get from this uh, commitment from Biden to billions more vaccines? Well, I think the the text now is, is going to be essential. So the statement that the uh, US administration put out 
uh, just says that they're gonna they're gonna they're, they're happy to waive. Well, they haven't given the exact wording, but they're they're prepared to waive uh, IP on vaccines only. And you have to remember that the Indian South African proposal talks about anything that can be related to COVID nineteen, whether it be PPE, diagnostic, um, therapeutics. So I think what we're gonna see is uh, the original sponsors, India and South Africa, and all the other sponsors go back to the drawing board and send some revised text. And then we're just going to have this back and forth. Uh, I think it was uh, the DG of the WTO said she wants to get this done by December. I mean, we're kind of hoping that it, it moves a lot quicker than that. And, you know, the other thing is that's really essential is that these agreements, uh, these negotiations are actually transparent and public because most but all trade deals are usually behind closed doors and we don't know the finer details. And um, it's important that we actually know what the hell's going on. So I think this is going to be a, a really now a, a negotiation. And we're already hearing how there's immense pressure being put on representatives in the um, in the U.S. from Pharma. So you can bet your bottom dollar that uh, there's going to be a lot of twists and turns between now and if there's going to be any final text. Yeah, no, I can imagine. And, and as we're seeing in Europe already... Well, it was quite interesting because you saw, first of all, it felt like dominoes and quite a few European leaders kind of starting to speak out uh, in favour of Biden's move. And then it felt like Chancellor Merkel telephoned them all at the weekend and said, you know, get into line. And their position is very much hardening in the other direction. So, I mean, what do you think about that? How can you how can you see an agreement being reached at the WTO if the EU uh, become really quite intransigent? I think uh, I think there's a bit of good cop, bad cop going on. Uh, I think uh, it's, it's, you know, the U.S. has led. I, w- I would be very surprised if this statement made by the U.S. was not done with the EU not knowing. Um, I believe that they probably talked about this and they're, 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 they're a bit role-playing going on. Uh, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But I, if you look at past negotiations and past sort of uh, WTO stuff, the, you know, the EU and the Europeans and basically the industrial north, is uh, is always in sync when it comes to IP. There's no way that someone's going to do this and not uh, uh, be aware of what's going on. So they're going to they're going to probably just jostle and, and play roles and, and sort of try and weaken any of the broader aspects of the initial proposal and sort of uh, play different roles just, just to get it the way they want it. That's my sense, but I'm happy. I, I mean, Preeti may have a different view. I think you're probably right, but yeah, it's quite depressing. <laughs> well, I don't want to speak for other countries. I'll speak for activists here in the U.S. And, you know, we are working in solidarity with human rights organizations all over the world to really let the Biden administration know that global COVID vaccine access is a racial justice issue. And this administration has committed to racial justice Uh, We're trying to be very clear that that's not just a domestic agenda. It has to be a global agenda. That's really, really interesting, Pretty, and um, and I do value the way actually as as we've gone through this journey that that racial justice lens has actually been more and more part of the discourse, and and it is very clear to see is that we're energized on this side in terms of access to medicines and making progress, and I I think they I can only imagine the crisis meetings they had after the, after the Biden decision and and probably the money they've pumped into this. What I'd love to do with you guys is is explore some of the arguments that big pharma are making right now in a very energetic way both in the US but especially around the world and uh, Max and I we've made a list of the kind of common kind of arguments that that big pharma make and we're going to go into a bit of a round of big pharma bingo giving you guys maybe 30 40 seconds to answer each question is that is that going to be is that going to be all right and maybe a bit of fun is there a prize at the end of it uh <laughs> 
I don't know about a prize. No, we, 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 only work for, we only work for money, you know. We're all, we're all, we're all for profit. I thought you left that industry. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, when, when I'm on podcasts, I'm looking for an earning. You know? <laughs> we'll, we'll see what we can do, but I've got a bell as well. So this is, there you go. That's, that's what's going to happen. Good. That's very good. So, Pretty, I'm going st- to start with you, if that's okay. Um, sure. Here's a common one, right? So you activists, you know, Biden now, you guys are all, you're destroying incentives. This waiver is actually going to stop corporations from making vaccines, even boosters to the vaccine down the line. I think that's rubbish. Vaccines are not actually a market that pharmaceutical manufacturers are incentivized to enter. That's why we've had $100 billion in government funding to create those incentives. IP has become a smokescreen that they hide behind to protect all of their earnings. But in the end, we've socialized the risk and we've privatized the profit. So the incentives are not actually gone. Brilliant. Uh, Tahir, right, now your turn. Okay, this we're paraphrasing a, a certain famous billionaire uh, who's quite big in the health area. Um, <laughs> it's not like there's some idle vaccine factory sitting around that magically makes safe vaccines. This is complicated. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, I wonder who that was. Um, basically... Uh... I mean, there are there, there like 40, 41, if you include serum, vaccine manufacturers in developing country vaccine manufacturing network. Uh, they're all plotted around the global south, and uh, they make over 3.5 billion doses of other vaccines. Uh, some of them are pre, uh, WHO pre-qualified. So to say that there are not idle factories sitting around, I think, uh, is uh, either Bill's gone a bit blind, or he's got his favourites, which is serum is definitely one of them. And having studied this area uh, for other vaccines like human uh, HPV and pneumococcal, uh, there are a lot of actors out there who could actually be doing a lot more in this situation, and their capacity is not being used at all. Uh, even even companies in India who are not part of that network who are actually could be doing more. I mean, there's Companies that have got licenses for the Sputnik vaccine uh, who are already sort of ramping up there, and you know, just hurt. Oh, yeah, dearie me, you went over there, but it was interesting. I know. But, you know, yeah. I was just getting, I was just getting started. No. You just getting warmed up, weren't you? Okay. Go Good answer. Good answer. Um, pretty over to you. This is, hey, this is, this is, um, hey, this is honestly, this was one we kind of heard from from Dr. Fauci, and uh, you know, in the days in advance of the decision, you know, the waiver's actually going to slow the world down from getting vaccines. We're going to be going back and forth in these endless legal arguments about waivers. What would you say to that, Pretty? Let's talk about the facts, okay? The fact of the matter is that pharma themselves have admitted that they're only meeting 3% of their targets right now to getting vaccines to people worldwide. So there is no possible way that we could be going slower than we are right now. The fact of the matter is, if you don't have a waiver where we lift all forms of intellectual property, the industry is going to tie us up country by country, vaccine by vaccine in litigation. We've seen that already with treatments and other forms of uh, medical products in this pandemic. Look at Gilead. They sued Russia on remdesivir. Like we have so many examples of where IP litigation has already started. So let's stay focused. IP is an obstruction in a moment like this. Very good. <laughs> no, I'm not very good at counting time. This is great. This is great. Um, so tell here, right. Um, people are very serious about the safety of vaccines. The waiver leads to huge safety concerns for vaccines being made in the developing world. Oh, uh, yeah, that all that all sort of uh, scientific racism, as I call it. I've got another ready answer to use Boris Johnson's term. Um, basically, I, I tweeted about this, uh, and I think... Uh, 
this is a, this is some this is just a smoke screen that they're putting up. Uh, of course, everybody's worried about the safety of vaccines, but they 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 kind of said this on numerous occasions with HIV drugs when they said generics can't produce them, and they did. Uh, they've said that about hepatitis C drugs. They did the same. And I'm not saying that these small molecule drugs are the same as vaccines, but they even said that with when Shanta Biotech back in the 80s came up with their own version of a hepatitis B vaccine and used their own technology. And, you know, these very, these very companies were saying, oh, you won't understand the technology, you can't actually uh, make them. So, you know, this is, again, another deflection, just like the other deflections that they've said, what Preeti has been talking about. And uh, it's just classic pharma talking points. Yeah. Perfect. I like. I think Max basically waits to hit the bell after he gets the answer. <laughs> I know. I just. I wait for a nice little stop. You know, I'm not very good at being. Well, I, well, I actually put the. I put the stopwatch on just to make sure I got it. I love it. I love. I love. I, start, I, I was actually we were talking recently with a. a and this senior journalist and we organizing an op-ed and um he, he from one of these right-wing newspapers and he said he said they, they even made mistakes at the johnson and johnson factory in the u.s i mean how could they possibly make these things in developing countries do you know what i mean it's like the, the racism is not even subtle you know i think it's disgusting i mean it really makes me angry and it is and just to go there with that question guys and we've, we've kind of finished our round of kind of big farmer bingo so thank you for that but um, it, you know, you, you you said it there, Tahir. You know, there's there's scientific racism at play. Can we just explore that just for a sec? Because it, it did sound awfully like brown and black people can't be trusted to safely make vaccines. We seem to be the dog whistle to me. Do you think is that is that a fair thing that I'm I'm, I'm putting there? Yes, absolutely. You know, this riles me up. Uh, if you take the case that Tahir was just talking about about Shanta Biotechnik and the hepatitis B vaccine, you know, this is what this same arguments they advanced then. And today we're seeing, you know, what is it? Over 100 million people a year have been vaccinated because we've achieved more suppliers, we achieved more scale, costs came down, and more people could get immunized. And every single time they point to safety because they know in high-income countries, people will fall for that. I've had in the last few days decision makers and journalists admit to me that they heard that argument and they didn't question it even for a second. They were like, oh, well, if, you know, it must be true that, you know, people in other parts of the world can't make safe vaccines. I think we really in the high income countries have to start questioning what is it that makes us fall for that line of argument so quickly. It's deeply problematic. And I think credit to the access to meds movement, by the way, and, and a range of people who've who started to be uh, not started to be have been quite vocal about this Tahir I saw your kind of tweet thread about this as well picked up in the New York Times and uh, and credit to them for covering it because it is it is you know we I think we easily call out uh, dog whistle racism when it comes from right-wing politicians right there's a sense that it, it's a lot harder to do when it comes from from industry basically um, so yeah, I, I just sorry I just wanted to add just I mean the Wall Street Journal has been at the forefront of this leading this charge of, of what I call scientific racism in every other month they come out with some ridiculous uh, point of view and talking point that is purely industry and it's almost like they feel that their life's going to end because somebody else is going to make these vaccines in the IPR situation but it really smacks of you know if you, if you read sort of this all the Rudyard Kipling writings and all the old imperialist writings of the Europeans it all smacks of all that it's almost like these, you know the, the world has not moved on and these guys are just really you know if you read your history and you read your even your fiction and your literature it just smells of all that stuff it's terrible. 
and I'm surprised that we're allowing this to actually even pass. No, I I, I hear you there. Oh, thanks, guys. We're gonna we're, we're wrapping up the interview to uh, at the end now. But I, I did want to ask something. Just taking a big step back and 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 closing with this question to both of you. You know, we started by talking about the Biden decision, about how unprecedented that is. Now, you guys, you've got skin in the game on access to meds. You've you've worked around the world. You've worked relentlessly on this issue. My question to both of you, just to close in a short way, is do you have like substantive hope for change to this industry, to pushing back against big pharma? So for the system as a whole that we can get, you know, generic medicines to the world, to people in countries here like in Kenya, who suffer because of the horrendous prices of treatments and medicines. Absolutely, I have hope. And I can also tell you another thing, we are not going to rest over here in the US until we make sure that we push our administration to do right by the rest of the world. Like we're not going to stop until we make sure that every country has received an equitable allocation of vaccines. It's great to hear. I don't think it's going to be a fight, but I, I think we can win it. I really do. Tahir, are you is, is are you feeling that as well? Yeah, no, I I think it's this is a long a long road, but I think what's happened with COVID has opened a lot of uh, windows and maybe even some doors. And uh, I think uh, we have to we have to, as Preeti says, we have to keep persevering. There's going to be a lot of obstructions, but I think. Uh, there are people who are now talking about patents and IP and these larger, these deeper structural systems that we've never had, that probably never talked about them or heard about them before. I mean, who who, who would have thought that people are now talking about the WTO and the TRIPS agreement? <laughs> um, I mean, to, the fact that that's probably trending more than it ever has is, is I mean, the, the stuff. Yeah, the- we have a colleague, um, Heidi, here in the UK and uh, works for Global Justice Now, and she said, she had never been more excited than when she saw Trips Waiver trending on Twitter <laughs> uh, as, as an IP geek. But yeah, I think it absolutely, and I think in, in a way it feels like we've got a, a mountain to climb, uh, but it does feel like we've really started. Thank you guys. That was really, really good and great for the listeners to get into some depth on this amazing issue and this amazing fight. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on Equals. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Keep up the great work. Thank you. We're in it. We're in it together. Thank you, guys. I really appreciated that interview, Max, with Tahir and with Pretty. Look, there's many things to cover here in a second, but I think one thing we can agree on is bingo works. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed the bingo. And uh, yeah, especially the bell. Let me see. Let's just... Yeah, yeah, keep, yeah, keep I mean... that handy. Keep that handy. I'm definitely going to keep that handy, yeah. And look, there's many points to cover here, but I do appreciate the point that they made about the caution by which we view the Biden decision. We've still got a mountain to climb. There's still a very fierce and maybe increasingly active big pharma lobby opposing us. Yeah, and I also enjoyed the points about racism and what he called scientific racism. The idea that only rich white men in in rich countries are, are clever enough to make these complicated vaccines, I think that's... It's important we call that out. That is something that does need to be called out and explored further. And that brings us nicely, actually, to our interview with Asia Russell to to close this interview off. And we can talk about how racism has shaped the vaccine response more broadly. So, Asia, welcome to your first Equals. So excited to interview you. You're such a a towering figure in the Access to Medicines movement. And uh, it's great you can be here. Thanks so much for having me. Asia, echoing Max here. And let's let's start by talking about racism. And you have called out yourself this kind of deeply colonialist response at play by rich governments. Can you walk us through this, what, what, what you've talked about here? I'm really interested to understand, you know, has racism shaped the way the world has dealt with COVID-19 vaccines? It's shaped the response at every step. 
And that's part of both the legacy of global public health, but it's part of the here and now. It's part of the most powerful governments in the world, in particular, my government, the US, exerting policy moves that determine whether the majority of the world's population must be told to wait in line for essential treatments and vaccines and suffer and potentially die. And when you look at who those communities are and where they come from, they're the vast majority are black people and brown people. And the racialized outcomes in the US are catastrophic as well. And they speak to one another. And I guess the good news is the US government has the power to take action today that can transform that horrific, not just legacy, but reality right now of racism and colonial responses in public health, shaping whether fundamentally people get to live or die. I'm an AIDS activist and my organization Health Gap got started more than 20 years ago because analogous dichotomies along racial lines were playing out in terms of access to triple combination life-saving antiretroviral therapy. And because of global solidarity, together we were able to put big pharma not only on its back foot, but to challenge the governments that were enabling their profiteering and frankly deadly actions. So we know it can work. We also know that that wasn't enough and that's not surprising. This is a system of treatment and vaccine apartheid at its core that is not broken. It's the system working. So our task ahead is very formidable, but we are up to that that challenge. I mean, the data in the US alone, for example, for any listener out there who's feeling hopeless or angry, the data actually indicate that more Americans agree that there should be and that there must be vaccines and treatments for all, a people's vaccine, then who don't? And that's extraordinary. I think that speaks to the moment that we're in. People are really outraged that uh, this kind of inequity is um, making so many communities precarious, not only in the wealthiest countries where healthcare is not delivered as a right, but then much more so around the world where the vast majority virtually all of the global south has even yet to receive a first shot. I think you're absolutely right. I think this is a, a, an historic moment. And it is amazing that the US government has probably for the first time ever uh, said that they want to look at the issue of waiving patents. And in the in the centre of the decision is this woman called uh, Ambassador Tai. She's a US trade representative. She's made this historic decision. And you've met her, haven't you? And, and lobbied her in the run up to the decision. Did you see it coming? I mean, what's she like? What did you think at that point? And were you surprised when the decision was made? I think it's clear that pressure from activists really triggered a reversal of course by the Biden administration. But the jury is out about exactly what it will translate into because there's a deep concern that the US is right now only supporting a watered down version of a suspension of what are called intellectual property rights. So patents, but also trade secrets, know-how, everything that's, that's bound up in the recipe that's needed to make COVID-19 vaccines and to make COVID-19 treatments. So what's happened is the Biden administration has taken 
has taken a first wavering step. That's nonetheless momentous, and it's a testament to the power of activism. And you're right, it's Ambassador Tai who's been a crucial actor. Now, we met with her, um, it was a very brief meeting, but Ambassador Tai clearly indicated in that meeting that she recognized that a business-as-usual approach is not rising to meet the moment of catastrophe that the world is in. And I think what's quite important is what she said to us that day. She also repeated um, during testimony publicly to the Senate Finance Committee and to the House Committee on Ways and Means. And that was essentially that economies don't work if people are dead. Our global trading system, which in the case of the Biden administration, she oversees as something called the U.S. Trade Representative, she was able to recognize that trade is based on people and it has to be accountable to communities. And that if communities have no security because they have no health, then trade doesn't work. And that to me is a step removed from the Obama administration, the Clinton administration, and certainly from the Bush administrations. Um, so that's I think, one of the most important things, maybe even more important than the substance of the waiver so far, because there's so much work less, left to do to ensure that that's uh, substance and not spin. Nevertheless, she cannot step back from what she said, which is that intellectual property rights are obstructing access to the essential life-saving uh, public goods that humans need in order to recover uh, from this disaster, this preventable disaster, of treatment and vaccine apartheid and to build for the next pandemic. And that's where pharma is most concerned. They are petrified that this is the first step toward a recovery from not just inequity for COVID-19, but a break from this twisted system that puts profiteering and monopolies ahead of access for all. Really well said there, Asia. And I, I can't help but feel this this strange feeling of hope in relation to what Ambassador Tyther that I've never, frankly, I've never felt with it, with the US government. So so that is nice to hear. But at the same time, you know, it does feel that our work is just beginning. More and more people are coming behind this cause. And Asia, many people are also going to be wondering, listening to you to the podcast today, they're going to be wondering, you know, what can I do? What can I do to support this effort? And you are a leader in this space. And what's your advice to them? What can people do to help win a people's vaccine? Well, first of all, if you're not angry and you're not dismayed, then something's wrong. <laughs> and we don't want you standing on the sidelines. We want you to join us because this is a global movement where, as I mentioned, the numbers are on our side, but we need more power. Global health at its core is about not evidence, but power. And who has the power to speak and to demand what they require? and to act on their rights. And until we rebalance that imbalance, we won't transform this problem. So everyone listening, we need all hands on deck at this moment. Um, and so go to the People's Vaccines uh, materials online. It's peoplesvaccine.org. That's where you can tap into a global social movement built on uh, intersectional cross-cutting social justice movements um, from the global north and the global south and dial into what's a groundbreaking effort to really confront and dismantle vaccine and treatment apartheid for COVID-19, but also 
to transform the system so it never happens again. I would also encourage people to visit freethevaccine.org to find out more in particular about what comrades in the US are doing in order to hold the Biden administration accountable. But you're not alone. If you're, if you're feeling dismayed, if you're feeling depressed by how terrifying the news is every day about vaccine apartheid, you're not alone. A huge vaccine for paralysis is activism. So we want you to join us. You are necessary for the success of this movement. With all hands on deck, we can move mountains together. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you for that, Asia. I feel really inspired. My pleasure. Thank you. Oh, Max, what an interview. I mean, there are high days and low days and we are in this struggle together, but I can tell you, I feel fired up listening to Asia. Yeah, me too. Truly inspired. What an amazing woman. What an amazing woman indeed. Thank you everyone for joining us today. Our next Equals is going to be with the Patriotic Millionaires with some very, very, very rich people, including Maurice Pearl, former managing director at BlackRock. We're going to be talking about taxing the rich, about the role of the rich, about class patriotism. It's going to be very interesting. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. And as always, everyone, please share the podcast with your friends, your family. Follow us on Twitter and give us a great review. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Bye.